You can probably tell a lot about someone from the comic strips that they are uh, that they gravitate towards, and you will probably learn that I'm a little strange in my sense of humor because I, I over over the years have uh, have resonated with the comic strip character Dilbert. Um, strange sense of humor, I know he's a. If you don't know him, Dilbert is the uh, he's the, the the quirky engineer, and the comic strip details his life, his corporate life in his cubicle, and uh, some of his strange inventions and, and some of the escapades that he has with his uh, unusual boss. But I found it interesting how the character who created Dilbert got his start. Uh, I, I copied out what, what he had actually written. He said, when I was trying to become a syndicated cartoonist, I sent my portfolio to one cartoon editor after another, and perhaps like many people looking for work, I received one rejection after another. He said one, one editor even called and suggested that I take art classes, and maybe if you're looking at this thing, yeah, that's not a bad idea. But uh, then he got a call from Sarah Gillespie, an editor at United Media and one of the real experts in the field. And he says she called to offer me a contract. At first, I didn't believe her. I'd asked, I asked if I'd have to change my style to get a partner or learn how to draw. But he says she believed I was already good enough to be a nationally syndicated cartoonist. He says her confidence in me completely changed my frame of res- reference and altered how I felt about my own abilities. He says this may sound bizarre, but from the minute I got off the phone with her, I could draw better. He says, you can see a marked improvement in the quality of the cartoons that I drew after that single conversation. You may not have heard the story of Dilbert's creator. I'll bet that most of you have heard a a story almost exactly the same of that because I have heard a version of that story time and again. Very successful person finds their niche, finds what they were created to do, and the turning point in their life was a person who noticed and who spoke words into them that, that changed them, the words that helped them become a better version of who they are, words that affirmed them and seemed to release them and to set them on a path towards becoming the person that they eventually became. Words have an incredible impact on people's lives. Sarah Gillespie's words of encouragement made Scott uh, Adams draw better after just one phone call. And at the same time, that editor who said, hey, you should take, take art lessons, you really need to learn how to draw, Scott Adams, despite all of the fame, despite all that he had accomplished, 10 years after that phone call, he could still remember it. could still remember how it felt when that editor had shared those careless comments, had had unleashed on him and just brought him down in in his estimation of himself. Researchers will say that we, on average, so there's a great disparity, some some share a lot, some share a little, but on average, we we share about 15,000 words per day. And that adds up to 400 million in our lifetime. And those words all have impact. The, the legacy of our lives will largely be determined by the words that we chose to use. The, 
impact that we have on our children. We had a, we had a parenting seminar last, last week, and we'll have another one next week, and you can get all the principles right, but the impact that you will have on your children will be determined by the words that you used with them. The impact that you have in your career, the impact that you make on colleagues and on coworkers, on customers and clients, the impact that you have in your marriage, the quality of the friendships that you develop will largely be determined by the words that you choose to use. And so that's the question that we're asking this morning is, to start with, what, what kind, as you look at the words that you currently use, if you were to examine some of those 15,000 words that you use in the course of the day, what kind of legacy would you presently be leaving? How would people evaluate your life by the words that you use? We've been in this series called Ancient Wisdom, and we've been just consistently going back to the book of Proverbs, a 3,000-year-old book of wisdom, and we're saying, how can we learn from the, the wisdom of God's word and in such a way that it'll impact how we, how we live our lives. And today we're looking at the words that we choose. And I'd like to consider the three main principles it gives for better communication. I, I, some people have asked, like, how do you go about sermon preparation? And so f- for, this, for this series in Proverbs, it hasn't been, hasn't been rocket science. I've been just going through the entire book and and looking for any verses that related to the particular themes. What, what are the big themes of the book of Proverbs? And then gathering those Proverbs together into groups. And as I did for looking at the words and, and the advice that Proverbs gives on the tongue or the words, it was surprised what the first and actually the biggest principle that came out on how to, how to speak more wisely, how to, how to use our words more wisely. Because the biggest category of Proverbs about our words said to use less of them. That's, that was the big, the big takeaway from the, the biggest category of Proverbs about words said, use less, less of them, restrain them. Speak, why, speak few words is the first principle of wise communication. Proverbs would teach us to restrain our words, to filter our words, to hold back our words. Let me give you an example. Proverbs 10.19 says this. When words are many, transgression is not lacking. But whoever restrains his lips is prudent. It's a stark warning because it's not just saying use good words and only use good words. It's saying the more words that you use, the more, the more likely that your words will lead to sin and you will cause damage with those words that the, just the sheer number of words that we, that we speak is, uh, is an issue. To be wise with our words, we need to use few words. We need to choose them carefully. It's got to be a filter on our words. We need to have wisdom when we speak. Proverbs 17.28 is even more extreme. There it says, Even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he's deemed intelligent. You maybe have seen one of these people in a, in a boardroom in an in a, in a important business. Everyone's thinking, he hasn't said anything, but he's probably thinking of something very profound right now. And that's probably not, not really the point of this verse. It's just saying someone who knows when not to speak is 
wise, even if they're a foolish person. Even if when they do speak, they, they don't tend to, to, to say things that would, would encourage or edify, just by virtue of having the restraint to know when not to speak, when not to blurt something out, that person who is ordinarily considered foolish is at that moment considered wise. Nelson Mandela learned this lesson. He said, It's never my custom to use words lightly. If 27 years in prison have done anything to us, it was to use what he calls the silence of solitude to make us understand how precious words are and how real speech is and its impact on the way people live and die. That's, that's the point of these verses on restraining our To see how precious words are, how negative an impact words can make and how positive an impact words have the potential for. Nelson Mandela would never have accomplished the things he did if he'd have used words carelessly. He had to learn when to walk away, when to hold back, when to speak and what your words that he would choose. And if he hadn't learned those lessons, if he hadn't learned to choose his words carefully, if he hadn't learned how precious his words were, we might not have come through uh, the era of apartheid in South Africa. There may, ne- there may never have been uh, the, the freedom and the release that came with, uh, with, with his, the, the movement that he, he brought about. Now, Proverbs gives us two things to do before we speak, and it gives us two times when we need to just shut up. Okay? Two, time, two things we need to do before we speak that will restrain our words, and two, two times when you're just not to speak at all. The first is, uh, comes in Proverbs 18.13, 18, something to do before we speak. Proverbs 18.13 says, If one gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and shame. Do you ever talk with someone and get the impression that when you're speaking, the only value in, in their mind your words have is to give them a time to breathe so that they can tar- start talking again? Ever have that e- experience? The, the proverb says that when we do that, when really we are just interested in a monologue with an occasional break for us to start uh, breathing in so we can keep talking again, then that is a recipe for foolishness. We need to listen before we speak. We need to listen at, at least as much as we speak. Being able to think on your, on your feet is, is a gift. Some people are able to just uh, respond very, very quickly to a- anything that, uh, that, uh, that they hear. But you also need to, know, need to, need to have the, the, the restraint that will hold back, that knows when to hold in those words, to take time. Proverbs 15.28 says, The heart of the righteous ponders how to answer but the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. We not only need to learn to listen before we speak, we need to learn to think before we speak. The wise person will ponder the answer, will think about the answer, will think about what he or she has just heard and, and, and not just blurt out the first thing that comes to mind, but calculate to think about, to ruminate on. How do I respond? What words will I choose? 
Again, Nelson Mandela, words are precious, and I will use my words with the preciousness that they deserve. That involves thinking. Take some time. Wisdom teaches us to use fewer words to listen more and think before we speak. But fewer also means that there are some conversations that we just don't enter into. There are some topics that we don't bridge. One of those is the faults and failures of others. Listen to this little reminder of when to hold back our words in Proverbs 11, verses 12 to 13. Whoever belittles his neighbor lacks sense, but a man of understanding remains silent. On this topic, you just don't, you don't open your mouth. When it involves belittling someone else, running down someone else, carrying on, whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets. But he who is trustworthy in spirit keeps the thing covered. If our words are like a tap that we just let roll, we will inevitably say things that will dishonor and injure the people around us. Maybe not the people around us in the room at the time, but no less injure the people uh, that are around us. We'll say things that we know would embarrass or discourage Wisdom would call us to think first and to filter more and to recognize where it involves someone's character, someone's failures, someone putting someone in a negative light. That's, that's a conversation that we don't enter into. It's a time when we keep silent. Proverbs also warns us not to speak when it won't help. At Proverbs 18 verses 6 and 7 says, A fool's lips walk into a fight and his mouth invites a beating. A fool's mouth is his ruin, and his lips are a snare to his soul. And you read a verse like that, and you ask, do my words invite arguments? Do my words bring out the worst in people? Do they, do they cause tension? Do they, do they stir up arguments? Do they put people on the defensive? Now, most people, most of the time, don't do this. We do it, though, when we feel we have to do it because we think that somehow those harsh words and those arguments, there's a time when, then, when we need to, to get tough. But unless we restrain our words, we're likely to do more harm than good. There was a fascinating study done in Israel um, about this very thing. It wasn't about just careless words spoken in times of... of uh, of ease. It was talking about stressful times where there was a real concern that something, something needed to be done. What the researcher did, they took some actors and they brought them in and had them pose as the parents of babies in a neonatal intensive care unit. That, this is a time when stress is high, the stakes are high, and it's the care of your child at stake. This is a time when you're liable to say something that would be harsh, a little strong. And what they did with these actors, they had them say something, not, not over the top, but just rude. And then they tracked the response and the impact on the doctors and nurses, the medical staff that were involved in treating those, those patients. They tracked what, what impact would the with would these people's words have? And they had some actors that were, that were coached to say some, 
some rude words, and other actors that were coached to say just some, some normal, uh, normal responses. The, the, one of the actors played a mother who said loudly enough for others to hear, I knew we should have gone to a better hospital where they don't practice third world medicine. The actor didn't freak out, didn't have a fit, they didn't go wild, but they just said something rude and in a loud enough voice that the team could hear. That was all it took for this entire medical team to, in a sense, fall apart. The research showed that individual performance was affected, teamwork fell apart, communication suffered, procedural skills were missed, even the the doctor's and nurse's ability to diagnose problems. And and again, you, you say this because you want better care for your child. And yet even the, the doctors and nurses' ability to diagnose uh, is, issues in, in, the, in the people that they were treating was impacted, not just for a moment, not just for that parent's child, but for the entire rest of the shift. If one rude comment could have that kind of impact on a battle-trained, hardened, seasoned ICU staff what kind of an impact do you think that it has on your children? What kind of impact do you think that a a, a rude or demeaning or disrespectful comment would have on a spouse or a co-worker? Words are precious, but they also have the incredible power to, to damage people. And so Proverbs would encourage us to use fewer of them to listen first, to think before we speak, and to filter, to really think about the impact that our words will make. We need to know when to speak and when to keep quiet. We listen first, we think second, and we guard our words as precious. So we need to use few words, but when we do speak, Proverbs would, eat, would urge us to speak words, not only few words, but words that are True words. The truthfulness of our words establishes their weight. And so to impact people, we need to speak true words. The choice of words in Proverbs 12.22 gives you a sense how important this is as an issue to God. It says, Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who act faithfully are his delight. Abomination is... <laughs> is we only think of abominate. We, we think of the abominable snowman. It's, you know, the, 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 there, there's not. Uh, we don't use abomination very often in Scripture. It gets reserved for the worst. When God feels loathing towards something, that's that's the only time you get this this word abomination applied to to it. And here it's it's applied to deception. But it also says God delights in faithfulness. God delights in in words that are true and right and honest. This issue is so important to God that it makes his list of Ten Commandments, right? Exodus 20, 16, shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. There, the truth-telling is put in the context of a legal setting where our words, when called as witnesses, have the power to destroy someone literally punish them or to uh, rightly or wrongly set them free. 
But Proverbs condemns lying of all kinds. We, we usually lie, if you think about it, for one of two reasons. Either to protect ourselves or to hurt someone else. We, we protect, others with our, protect ourselves with our lies or we often will hurt other people with them. We hide the bad things and we exaggerate the good things we've done. Proverbs 8.8 calls that twisting your words, making them crooked. It says this, All the words of my mouth are righteous. There is nothing twisted or crooked in them. Do you twist your words to make yourself look a little better? Do you kind of stretch the truth a little bit to put yourself in a good light and to hide some of the things that you don't want people to see? Do you bend the truth to give yourself credit for things that you know that you haven't really done? can do that all the time. I think that's, I think that's the, the, the favorite Canadian way of lying. It's just bending the words a bit to kind of make ourselves look a little better, to protect us from saying things that we don't want to say. God, God warns us about this because he knows that destru- deceit will destroy trust. That you do this once and people will then assign a little asterisk to your name people will assign a fudge factor to everything you say because inevitably when we will speak words that are untruthful, people can often gauge the untruthfulness of our words, at least some of the time. And if they see it some of the time, then they assume it's true of most of the time. Breaks down trust. Without trust, we don't have influence. Our words have no real weight. When it comes to trust... There was a, a Reader's Digest uh, uh, award given to Tom Hanks. People's, the Reader's Digest announced that Tom Hanks was the most trusted man in the world. And, and so he was interviewed. David Letterman interviewed Tom Hanks and said, you know, I heard that you, you won this most trusted man in the world. Like, how do you do that? How do you become so trustworthy? And uh, he had an unusual technique. He said, I'm honest because... I actually tell people that I'm lying to them. He said, I'm in show business, so somebody will send me a project, and there's no way I'm going to do it because, you know, it's, it stinks, it's lousy, and I don't want to do the project. But he'll say, Doug, I'm lying to you right now, but I love this project. I really, really want to do this. I want to do it, and, but I've just, I've got this uh, marketing, that, uh, promotions that I've got to do for, uh, another film that I'm working on, and, and, and uh, so I've got to go to Japan, um, I, but I really want to do it, but I, I, I just can't do it. Now, Doug, I'm lying to you right now. And, and that, that's, that's, uh, that's Tom Hanks' strategy. He tells people he's, he's lying, then he lies to them, then he tells them that he's lying to them again, and he walks away, and, and uh, they're able to, to smile and, and laugh about it. I suspect that you can only get away with that if you're Tom Hanks. I I wouldn't recommend that as a technique. But it does show that there is this connection between honesty and trust. If you want people to take any stock in what you say, you need to tell them the truth. Even Even if telling the truth sometimes tells them, you know what, what I said last week, I... I just, I didn't tell you the truth. I, I, I blew it. 
I, I lied. I, I exaggerated when I said this. I blew it when I said that. I, often people know that what you said was wrong, but by confessing it and admitting to it, even if it is after the fact, you can build trust in relationship. So truth develops trust to speak true words. So Proverbs teaches us that to make an impact on our words, we need to speak first few words, and we need to speak true words. But we also need to speak healing words. Wise, gracious, life-giving words are needed to change people's lives. Speak healing words. Proverbs 15.4 is helpful in getting us started by guarding our tone. It says, A gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. The tree of life is a, a phrase that points us back to, the, to paradise, points us back to the Garden of Eden. The tree of life's fruit brings healing and life-giving power. And this verse says that's what gentle words do. That, that's the effect that they can have in a person's life. Gentle words are words without the anger and emotion tied to them. They're words that heal without injuring. Proverbs 12.18 says, There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. I, I don't know about you. I, uh, this isn't a good thing, obviously, but television has made me immune to a lot of violence. Uh, I can see an explosion now. I can see guns. It just, it, I, I become immune to it. But for whatever reason, when I see a stabbing, uh, it's still on, you know, in, a, in a program or something, I just... I find it horrifying. There's something particularly uh, jarring about, uh, about a stabbing. And, and this verse says that rash words are like that. Rash words are here words that we just blurt out. We just don't think about them. They just come out. They're words without the filter. Words spoken in anger, bitterness, negativity. But it says wisdom brings healing. They're words that are not only true, but they're words that give life. They're words of wisdom. So often we'll bring demands to our children, but no wisdom. We don't take time to teach them, but we expect that they will just somehow know. We give the what, but too little of the why. So words that heal are, they're communicated gently, but they have content. They have real substance. They have wisdom. But someone who's just spouting off a lot of wisdom, even if it's gentle, can just come across sounding like Yoda, right? Uh, there, there might be something of value there, but it just seems a little cold and, and emotionless. That's why Proverbs calls us to speak gracious words. Proverbs 16.24 says, Gracious words are like a honeycomb. Sweetness to the soul and health to the body. Gracious words here, they're not just true words. They're not even just wise words. They're words that lift people up. They're words of encouragement and blessing, words of comfort. People are starving for those words. Words of appreciation, words of affirmation, words that speak of acceptance words that speak of appreciation. We crave that kind of encouragement. The verse says that gracious words are sweet to our soul, but even will bring health to someone's body. 
there is a physical reaction. They undo the stress. They help us to sleep better. They make us feel better. In Scott Adams' case, they even make you a better artist. They make you draw better. Gracious words bring out the best in people. And sometimes I think Christians get the truth part right. We can often speak words that are true and and maybe even words that are wise, but often we fall down on the, the, the healing part, the grace part. And so... Our words and, and we are often perceived as, as uncaring, as harsh. Christian parents can do this. They miss the mark in the same way. We, we often will tell our kids the truth, just not with enough warmth or grace, just not with enough gentleness. We, don't just, we just don't think enough before we speak, and so our words can often hurt instead of heal. Without those healing words, without the grace, our children starve for lack of it. They want to hear those words of grace. Their bodies are craving for it. There's a healing effect to them. I read the story of a couple uh, whose daughter had been diagnosed with cerebral palsy. And they had had to go through a, a long series of tests. They were trying to distru- determine um, how advanced it was, how serious it was, and what the implications would be. After these long series of tests, they sat uh, the, the couple down and reported to them that it was in- extremely unlikely that their daughter would ever walk. But this couple, Ed and Barb Waltz, held out a special hope for their daughter, Deb. And they were still in shock. They were still trying to process everything that they were hearing. And they held out that maybe there was some small hope for, uh, for that their daughter would even be able to walk just, just a little. And they thought, maybe, maybe with special corrective shoes. Maybe there's some, some shoes with, with special braces that might be able to help her to, to walk, might be, have some corrective uh, impact. And, and, and so uh, Barb Waltz uh, asked the doctor, after she'd heard the, the, the diagnosis, she said, but what kind of shoes should I buy for my daughter? And without sensing the pain that there was in her question, he coolly replied, well, buy whatever kind of shoes you want. She's never going to use them to walk. And with that, he walked out of the room and Barb burst into tears. Sometime later, the family met with a second doctor and they were still processing things. They were still coming to terms with this. They wanted a second opinion. They wanted, they wanted more input. They wanted more feedback. They thought maybe there's still something that they might be able to do to help their daughter take even a few steps. And so Barb asked the second doc- doctor essentially the same question. But this time the second doctor paused a moment and said compassionately, you know what I would do, Mrs. Waltz? I would buy your daughter the prettiest pair of pink shoes that you can find. Ones, get, get purple laces and make them as beautiful, beautiful as you can find. Ed and Barb Waltz drove home that day and they talked about their experience with the two doctors. The two doctors had essentially said the same thing. They knew that their daughter would never walk again. But he said, 
with the first doctor, I'm ashamed to say what we felt like doing, but we felt like hugging that second doctor. He understood our pain, and he responded with compassion. Those words had a healing effect in her life and in the life of that couple as they were going to walk on just a very difficult path, and they needed, they needed help that his words had brought to her that day. Our words can heal people, and they can also injure them. Our legacy and the impact that we make on the people around us will largely be shaped by the words that we choose to use. So how do we change? The first step in changing is agreeing with God how, what God says about your words. It means agreeing with God where you recognize that you have said some rash and hurtful and damaging words. Agreeing with God about them. But then as you agree with God and you turn from them, you resolve to turn your back on those words, but also to turn in another direction. You turn to the person in Scripture who is called the Word. It's one of my favorite titles for Jesus. He's called the Word because as the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ is the expression of God. He is God's Word in human flesh. And it's as we commit our words to him that we learn to speak few words. He teaches us how to filter. He shows us when to speak and when to hold back. It was him of whom it was said he, he was oppressed and he was afflicted yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to slaughter and like a sheep that is before its shears is silent. Jesus knew how to filter, and he teaches us that. He shows us how to speak words also that are true. He not only spoke words of truth, he said, I am the truth. He promised that his truth would set us free. He said, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Jesus' words do that in our lives. So Jesus spoke few words. He spoke also true words. He also spoke words of healing. He didn't just speak truth. The Bible says that he came from the Father full of grace and truth. Full of grace. And deliberately, I think, they mention grace first full of grace and truth. He spoke words of grace. He spoke healing words, words of salvation. And he's the one who has the power to transform our words as well. Let's look to him in prayer. Heavenly Father, we, we all need help with our words. Surely words are precious. Surely words have incredible impact in them. So help us to know when to speak and when to be silent. Help us to be better listeners. Help us to filter the words that we use. Give us a patience and help to lift people up and not to tear people down. When we speak, Father, help us to speak truthfully, honestly but also to speak the truth in love. Our children need our healing words. Our spouses need words of grace. 
our friends and our coworkers are looking for someone to encourage them. Father, give us the help to be that person. Help us to choose those words. And help us to keep our eyes on the one who is full of grace and truth. Help us to receive his words for ourselves. And help us to learn our words from him. For we ask you in the name of that word, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.